Evans Road. Who's that walking down the road? a seat so we can get started tonight. Some others may feel that way too. Just sit down. Let's come on in and try to get a seat if we can, please. Books of the Bible. Ready? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel, Second Samuel, Second Samuel, Second Samuel, Second Acts 8. Okay, be baptized. Acts 
you go take the Lord's Supper, you should go on back and take it. Sorry about that. I'm glad to take the Lord's mind away. Giving to God. We give our money to the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. We give our money to the Lord, showing Him our love. We sing praises to our God, to our God, to our God. We sing praises to our God, singing in our hearts. We pray to the Lord our God, Lord our God, Lord our God. We pray to the Lord our God in Jesus' name. One more. Huh? Listen, preach. We listen to the Word of God, Word of God, Word of God. We listen to the Word of God and increase in faith. I think that's it. Time for our questions. I've got to mention this. Uh, I heard uh, when we had the Good job. We want to uh, take a moment and welcome everyone here tonight. We are blessed to have those who are visiting with us. Thank you for being here. And uh, we hope that you'll want to come back, want to come back and be with us anytime that you have an opportunity. I have a few announcements that I want to make tonight. And I did have the Lord's Supper up here written down number one, but I didn't look at it. So I apologize for that. But uh, some things that we need to remember the Freed Hardeman Lectureship begins tonight, and if you got a bulletin today, uh, you can go online and listen to the lectures live stream, uh, those that are in the chapel and uh, those that are in the auditorium. So that might be of interest to you through the week to tune in on that and see uh, what's going on. Also, uh, our associates will be uh, doing their usual serving of, is it vegetable soup, right, Janita? Uh, that, that's all underway on Wednesday, and so we'll be going up there and taking a group uh, to serve food uh, Wednesday afternoon. Also, everyone who's going to CYC, you need to meet tonight following our classes and meet down here in the front of the auditorium. Also, the youth group will be hosting a Valentine banquet in the Annex this Saturday. Uh, I think it begins at 6 o'clock, and please sign the list if you're going to be a part of that. Also, Bridget uh, Williams wants to remind everyone, if you're in the Lads to Leaders Good Samaritan uh, group, there's a Valentine date night, child care. This is on Saturday, February the 7th from 4 until 10. Oh, man, that's a long day, isn't it? 4 until 10. And it's in the tack. It says, parents, please take advantage of this event. So uh, you want free babysitting? I figure $15 an hour times six is what? Quite a lot, isn't it? If you pay that much. But anyhow, uh, keep that in mind coming up on the 17th. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Will you bow with me? Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the day. We want to thank you for all that you do for us. We're mindful of your graciousness and goodness on every hand. Father, there's so many that we know that are sick right now, that are recovering from surgeries, 
that are uh, recovering from various kinds of viruses. We pray that you will be with them. And Father, we also ask that you continue to bless those who grieve over the loss of loved ones. Father, as we go to our Bible classes tonight, may we, with an open heart and open mind, try to listen and learn and apply some things to our lives that will help us to be better servants of yours. Most of all, Father, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross for our sins, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. singing um, Blue Skies and Rainbows. Blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven I need uh, three volunteers to help me pass these out, one for each section, please. I hope that's enough. I'll get some more. They've got extra. Do what? Sorry. All right, while they're uh, passing those out, uh, just want to kind of introduce our theme just a little bit. I know it was announced this morning that we're going to be talking about the five acts of worship. Well, that's going to be a part of it. Really what we're gonna be dealing with is our corporate worship in general. And I'm just gonna kinda of lay out what we're gonna to do to begin with. We're gonna have two or three lessons just on the subject of worship. I think it's futile to talk about how we ought to worship if we don't understand what worship is to start with. And I think many times we have a misconception about what worship is and about what worship may involve on our part. Then we'll spend a lesson or two on how to establish Bible authority. I think we need to understand how the Bible does establish authority so that when we, can, when we get to what we do in worship, we know that what we do is by the authority of God. It's not a matter of personal preference. It's not a matter of what I desire or what I want. 
I want to worship God because he is God. He's the creator. And yet God has designated some ways that we are to worship him. So that's really the plan that we have. I did not get to finish this down in the annex uh, last uh, quarter uh, because we just didn't have enough time. We probably spent four or five different Sunday nights doing other things. So hopefully that's not going to be the case. And if I see that coming, I'll skip over some pertinent stuff uh, for more pertinent stuff. So we'll just see how that goes. Everybody got a lesson sheet? I'm going to try to give these out to you to take instead of having a PowerPoint. So I hope you'll uh, take one of those. And uh, if you need to put it in the fire when you get home, go ahead and do that as well. All right. Uh, as we think about worship, I, I think about a, a mother that was having kind of a tough time with the three-year-old in worship. You know, he was kind of acting up and all, and especially when the preacher got up to preach, he just wouldn't be quiet. And uh, the mother just one service whispered in the son's ear something, and immediately he was quiet. Never said another word, sat perfectly still. Congregation was kind of surprised. You know, what are those magic words? Well, she told one lady, well, I told my son this. I said, if you interrupt the preacher, he'll lose his place. He'll have to start over again. So anyhow, that's, that's how she did it. All right. When you begin a study of worship, and again, I want to solicit, solicit your comments. It's, I, know, I know we're in a big place here, and it's not like we have a smaller class, but if there's some comments that you have, some questions that you have, or some observations that you want to make, I want to encourage you to do that, all right? This class is your class. It's not my class. So I want you to feel free to speak up. If you want to raise your hand, that's fine. If you want to interrupt, that's fine as well. So, you know, feel free to uh, make whatever observations you want to make. Or if you want to come to me privately and ask a question, we can deal with that uh, the next time we meet together. So whatever's good for you. But whenever we begin a study of worship, we should uh, figuratively take off our shoes. It's really that important. Uh, you are standing on holy ground when you talk about and emphasize worship. I think you'll find, however, that the risk is worth taking to reap the reward that real worship is going to bring to you. Now, I know today different people have different ideas about worship. In the church today, we know that some prefer traditional hymns. Some prefer the Stamps Baxter Harmonies, you know, those uh, influential, uh, that influential publishing company and the shape note uh, idea there that, you know, became, became uh, very popular with Southern gospel music after World War II. Some prefer that. Some people prefer contemporary songs. Some people think that you cannot worship with a song unless it's 50 years old. Others think you cannot worship with a song if it's more than five years old. However, the important factor is not so much what we prefer in worship, but that we simply worship. It's not so much about what we want, it's about what God wants. And so that's where we've got to begin. That's where an understanding has to be as we get into this subject. You know, we often think the purpose of our existence in the church today is in three areas. What are those three areas, somebody? What are the three areas of church work today? Anybody? Well, we talk about evangelism, don't we, right? We talk about uh, edification and benevolence. That's the three avenues we tend to emphasize. Edification, evangelism, and benevolence. You know, we believe the church exists to preach the gospel, don't we? The church is the pillar and ground of the truth, and so we understand that point. We also believe that the purpose of the church is to teach the saved to grow into the likeness of Christ. We call that edification, growing and maturing as Christians. That's why our elders uh, work diligently to make sure that we have the kind of teaching here that will make sure and enhance the spiritual growth of folks here 
in this place. And we also believe in benevolence, don't we? That we need to help those that are hurting. Uh, that's why we have the food pantry and the clothes closet and uh, try to help so many people. And so these are the three areas that we often see as our purpose. And I wouldn't want to argue with that. And although these statements are true, we'll find ourselves and our purpose only when we lose ourselves in worship to God. Authentic worship is the force that must drive us. Unless we stand in awe of the person of God, unless we stand in amazement of the glory of God, everything else is just going to be a futile effort in weariness. If we don't understand, if we don't practice genuine worship, we're never going to have God's passion for his work. And so worship comes first. Whenever our worship grows stale, so does our passion for God's work. That may be one reason why we seemingly have a number of Christians who lose their passion. They lose their zeal for the Lord. It's sad when somebody that was once active in the Lord's work, <clears throat> seemingly really on fire, that person just begins to lose all interest and his Christianity just flatlines, so to speak, and he's no longer really right with God. When our worship grows stale, our work for the Lord is going to follow. Worship is the key. I need to stand in awe of the person of God. I need to be amazed at the glory of God. That has to come and be a part of it. Now, I want to talk about what worship is not. And I think before we really get into what worship is, I think it will help us to understand what worship is not. First of all, worship is not just a service. You know, we call our time together on Sundays a worship service. But just calling it that does not guarantee that we will worship. You can very easily attend a worship service without worshiping. Have you ever thought about that? You know, Jesus referred to Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13 when he was talking about the Jews of his day. Notice what he said here. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. You see, they're going through the outward form of worship. They're going through the right way to worship God, but it's useless because their heart's no longer in it. They're worshiping God, but they're not really worshiping God either. They're in a worship service, but their heart's not in it. Secondly, worship doesn't happen just because we sing hymns. We may have a song leader. We may sing hymns of worship, but singing does not guarantee our worship. You know, we are not worshiping just because we sing a religious, a religious song. This is kind of a little side point here. If that were true, if it were true that we were worshiping every time we sang a religious song, you could never even whistle a hymn or hum the tune of a spiritual song. You would have to sing that song. You see, the very concept of worship calls for intent. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I think accordingly, we can listen to hymns or spiritual songs on the radio as entertainment. Uh, we can listen to a Christian uh, university chorus like we have in recent times for the mere joy of music and even its message. And we should not fall into the trap of thinking that we cannot listen to or sing such songs for the sheer joy of it just because they reference God. 
I just referenced God in that previous sentence, but I'm not worshiping. If that were so, we're worshiping God every time we attend a Bible class, and if that were so, no lady could ever speak up, you know, as the Bible talks about. Intent. Think about that word. Write it down. Intent. The main New Testament word for worship is proskuneo. The word there means to kiss toward. This particular word paints a word picture of our purposefully and intentionally blowing a kiss toward God. It calls for the intent of engaging in activity that is specifically designed to express our feelings to God. If there is not an intent to do that, it's not worship. Even though it may mention the name of God or Jesus or spirit or may direct our thought to spiritual matters. And so we need to understand what worship is not. Thirdly, worship is not a performance. I think we kind of get mixed up on this point sometimes. You know, we rate movies today how? Thumbs up or a thumbs down, don't we? Or uh, we rate athletes by their statistics. Y'all know I, I'm a big Alabama fan. And I, I keep up with all these athletes that we get. I like these five stars. You know, they rate them five stars, four stars, three stars, two-star athletes that are coming to this particular program. You know, a good coach can do what? Take a three-star and make him a five-star, right? Coach him up. But, you know, we rate athletes by their performance on the field. Uh, we rate performers on stage by their ability to please the judges or to draw a crowd. This, this Taylor Swift uh, craze that's in our country today, it's unreal how much money people are paying for tickets to see her perform. I heard a, a story on the radio the other day that some people couldn't get tickets to a certain concert and so of her, they're flying to Italy so they can see her in concert. That's the only way they could go see her for whatever reason. But anyhow, it's easy in our culture today, in view of all this, to view worship as a performance to be rated. If we're not careful, we often see ourselves as an audience, and we view the people that conduct the worship service as performers. The truth is that all of us perform worship for an audience of one, and that's who? God. We're all performers. We perform for the audience of one, and that's God. You know, I generally, in my preaching, I know when I got up to welcome people on Sunday or whatever, I, I kind of got away from the idea, you know, about using the word audience. And our, our audience today, I always tried to refer to it as assembly. It's not a big deal. It's just a matter of semantics. But we're not an audience when we assemble, are we? You know, we are performers. None of us are spectators. None of us are judges. All of us are participants in the worship of God. So worship is not a performance as such. Fourth, worship is not just a feeling. Some people think, you know, if they have a tear in their eye, or if chill bumps just go up and down their spine, or if they're experiencing some kind of emotional catharsis that they've truly worshiped. Worship is and can be emotional. But being emotional does not in and of itself guarantee genuine worship. Now, there may be some other things that I could add to this, and uh, maybe you can think of some, and, and you can approach me about that. So having kind of seen generally what worship is not, and many times the mistake that people make as they think about what worship is, let's talk about what worship is. Now, our English word worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon word worship. It indicates an object of worthiness. It indicates a, an object of respect. In its most basic sense, worship means to declare worth. It means to declare worthiness 
Uh, if you look at Webster's Dictionary, and I think you can find some meaning there, uh, Webster defines worship as reverence offered a divine being. Reverence offered a supernatural power. He also says an act of expressing such reverence. And I think a dictionary definition might be helpful, but what we really need, what we want to see, is a biblical definition of worship. Now, in the scriptures, there are se several words that are translated worship. In fact, six primary words are used in the New Testament. Those words are written down on your lesson sheet, those six primary words. I'm not going to ask you to take a test to pronounce these. I'll try to do the best I can. But here's our, here are the words that are used for worship uh, in the Bible. Proskuneo, it means to make obeisance to, to do reverence to. Uh, proskuneo is from the word pro, meaning toward, and the word kanuo, meaning to kiss. It means to willingly blow a kiss toward. Uh, that's what it means, to kneel before someone. There's the word sebamai that means to revere, stressing the feeling of awe or devotion. Sebazamai means to honor religiously. Latruo means to serve or to render religious service or homage. Eusebio means to act piously toward, and threskeia is translated worshiping in Colossians 2 and verse 18 when Paul uh, mentions the worshiping of angels. Now, in the Old Testament, there's three primary words for worship. Uh, makra means a public worship service or convocation. We understand that. Uh, Shaka means to worship, to prostitute to uh, prostrate oneself, to bow down. Uh, Shekah is the term most used in the Old Testament bec uh, in regard to coming before God in worship. It's sometimes used in conjunction with another verb for bowing down physically, like in Exodus 34 and verse 8. Listen to what the Bible says about Moses. So Moses made haste. He bowed his head toward the earth and Worship. That's that word. And then the word sabah means to wage war, to muster an army, or to serve in worship. Now, kind of stay with me here, okay? I, I don't like all this kind of technical stuff either. It's not my, my favorite uh, thing to do. But from these particular words and from the following passage of scriptures we're going to look at, I think we can build a working definition of what worship is. For example... 1 John 4 and verse 19, the Bible says, we love him because he first loved us. You know, this verse indicates that worship is a response to what God has already begun. When we worship God, we are responding to him. Romans 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so worship is a reasonable response to what God has already begun. It is reasonable to bow down to the one who made us and loves us. Now in John 4 and verse 23, think about what Jesus said to the woman at the well. She said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Now from this passage, we discover that worship is a reasonable and heartfelt response to what God has already begun. Now, you can say all the right words in prayer. You can sing songs of praise in a cappella. You can take the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. You can give of your means. You can even say amen to the sermon. But if your actions do not come from your heart, you have not worshipped at all. You know, when the multitudes were following Jesus, Jesus thinned those ranks by telling them something 
over in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said, if any man comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and follow after me, he cannot be my disciple. What's the Lord saying here? God must be first above all. God has to be number one in your heart. God has to be the very top priority in your life. He needs to be more important than your physical relationships. The word hate there doesn't mean hate like we may mean it today. It really literally means love less. You have to love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, and your sisters less than you love the Lord. And if we in our everyday lives don't allow that to be a part of our lives, we allow other things to come between us and God, it's going to be very difficult for us to worship Him. God must be supreme above anyone or anything else. In Mark 12 and verse 30, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now, these passages help us to further define the concept of worship. Worship is a response that treasures God above anything else or above anyone else. Now, we turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul says, you know, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You know, from these passages, it becomes clear that, that worship is just much a little more than just our service on Sunday morning. You know, when we gather to sing songs of worship, we're really only speaking out the song that was already in our hearts. And, and when our worship does not arise out of a love for God, out of an amazement for who God is, being in awe of what God has done for us, our singing is just making a lot of noise. It's not meaningful. It's not real worship. Now, I want to mention a concept here that we need to think about as we continue uh, and hopefully finish this up tonight. We worship God because of who he is. Now, we often think of the words worship and praise as if they were synonymous, but they're really not. Worship and praise are two different responses. Praise is a response to what God does. Worship is a response to who God is. Think about that. Think about that statement. Praise is a response to what God does. Worship is a response to who God is. I praise God for what he's done for me, right? But I worship him because of who he is. Now, I have two dogs at home, darling Kiki and you know, if they do what I tell them to do, I praise them. But I don't worship them, even though I may praise them. Now, my family thinks I worship them. I've always joked and said, if the house catches on fire, I'll get those dogs out before I get the kids out. Because, you know, the kids can go to heaven, right? You know, uh, that's just my logic. But anyhow, don't mess with my dogs, right? They're, I love those dogs. And I praise them when they do what they're supposed to do. I ascribe worth to them because they're valuable to me. But although I see them as valuable, I do not see them as supremely valuable. We praise God for what he does. But we worship him for who he is. We worship him simply because he is God. And I want you to notice along these lines, 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Paul praises God 
for his mercy. But notice what Paul does when he arrives in verse 17. He worships in verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Worshiping God because of who he is. And we find a number of statements telling us who God is. In Psalms 95, for example, you ought to go home tonight and read that. In Psalms 95, there are a number of these statements. He is the Lord. He is the rock of our salvation, verse 1. He is the great God. He's the great king above all gods, verse 3. He is our maker, verse 6. And although his power and his presence are beyond our comprehension, verse 7 says he is our God. We worship God because of who he is. In the New Testament, God revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus is God with us, Matthew 1, 23. He's the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, Hebrews 1 and verse 3. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, Romans 13 and verse 8. He's worshipped in heaven, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. He's worthy of our worship because we are the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20 and verse 28. And so God alone is worthy of our worship. One of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 says, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. Now, we don't worship money, do we? We shouldn't. We don't worship possessions. We don't worship a particular position in society that we might have. We don't worship Mary. We don't worship the saints, you know, those who have uh, supposedly been great in the past that now have been elevated to sainthood. We also don't worship the church. We don't worship the preacher. We don't worship any church leader. We don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the songs. We worship God alone. He is the exclusive object of our highest adoration. So we worship God because of who he is. Now let me add to that point. We also worship God because of who we are. Think about some of the passages in the Bible. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalms 95 and verse 7, that's who we are. We are the clay, he's the potter, Romans 9, 20 and 21. We are the creatures. He is the creator, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. We are the subjects and he is the great king, Psalms 95 and verse 3. We are the servants. He is the master, Matthew 10, 24 and 25. We are the branches. He is the vine, John 15 verse 5. We are the possessions He's the owner, Isaiah 43 and verse 1. We are the apple of his eye, Psalm 17, verse 8. We are inscribed on the palms of his hand, Isaiah 49 and verse 16. See, by ourselves, we're nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. I'm deplorable. I'm nothing without God. That's what I've got to come to understand. I worship God because of who I am and what God has made for me. Our real value is found in the one who owns us. It's found in the one who made us and who bought us. We belong to him. And so worship is for God and God alone. Worship is for him and not for us. Now, we may be blessed, and we are. We may be comforted and encouraged and edified as we worship, and that's true. But all that's secondary, isn't it? God is primary. And whenever we leave the assembly, we should never ask, well, you know, how'd the song leader do today? 
You know, how, how did the preacher, how did he do today? How, how did the one that uh, said the prayer, the opening prayer, how did he do today? I should never ask, well, you know, how did the one who directed our thoughts uh, through the Lord's Supper do today? What we should and must ask is this. God, how did I do today? That's the question we need to ask. God, how did I do today? Did I honor you? Did I let you know that I love you above all people and all things? God, did I please you in my worship? Now, I hope you'll know that these first three lessons kind of are joined together. So you may think that something may be just a little bit missing so far. We're going to add to this as we go, as we talk about worship and what it is and how the Bible defines worship before we go into some more details. But on the back of your paper there, I wanted to give you this to take home with you, and I was hoping I'd have time to read this. I, this really made an impression on me. And I kind of want to read it in your hearing as you follow along. And you might want to look over this from time to time about how we need to worship. Look at what it says. I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling. I can begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. Losing that sense of wonder and gratitude to me, this speaks more and underscores why I need to worship. I don't know about you, but... I do not want to just plod through life. I want it to be filled with the marvels and the wonders of my amazing God. Quite often I've had to battle through everything. Life shoves my way to do so. This world is not my friend. It exists to dampen any attempt to enjoy God's wonders. It wants cynicism to replace faith. It wants self-focus to replace gratitude, disillusionment, disillusionment to replace discovery. Gathering with God's people each week is not the only way to ward off the world's influence, but it is a major way. Can we even discover that sense of wonder now? You know, what is there left to impress us? Practically every part of the world has been discovered. Every part of the world has been documented and photographed. Hollywood special effects bring whatever we can imagine to life on the screen. Information is available now like never before just by the touch of an app. So now little inspires us. Not much truly excites us. We just keep on plodding on. But maybe we ought to ask the same questions Moses did. He was a guy with some first-hand experience about who God is. And here's what he said in Exodus chapter 15. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Perhaps we should take a step back to reconsider and rediscover just how marvelous our God truly is. Now, we'll have to work through the toxins of the world, perhaps our own built-up, self-serving layer of cynicism and our disappointments to find the wonders, but they're there. God is there, and He is amazing. So I hope you'll maybe reflect on that. And what I'm trying to do in these first three lessons is really to deal with a mindset. You know, it's one thing to understand what we need to do, right? You know, we understand about the right acts of worship. I believe that's important. I, I strongly believe in the authority of the Bible. But I think what we've missed out on by and large as the church today is the proper mindset 
when we come into the assembly. Worshiping God because of who He is, because of His amazing and wondrous works that He's done. Worshiping Him because of who He is, His love toward us, what He's done for us. And I think that's going to open up a whole new world for us if we can understand where worship must begin in the heart. It must begin with the intent. Now, I've got about five minutes here. I want to mention, you want to write these down. There's four keys to acceptable worship that I'm going to go ahead and mention now. I hope you'll reference these as time goes by. True worship, first of all, is intentional. Intentional. You don't accidentally worship God. You have to intend to do so. True worship is also vertical. By vertical, I mean it's toward God. That encases a lot of ideas. If my worship is vertical, if it's toward God, then I have to be most concerned about what pleases God, right? That's why the Bible talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so worship is vertical. It's intentional. It's vertical. It's also internal. Something on the inside. I have to worship God in spirit. My heart has to be right. You know, Jesus, as we mentioned, talked about people that did the right things outwardly, but their worship wasn't acceptable. So worship is intentional. It's internal. It's vertical toward God. The last one is momentary. Worship is momentary. It begins and it ends. Some people teach the false idea that everything we do in life is worship. When I worship my car or go fishing, I'm worshiping God. Now, I can see a sense where we, were in, we render religious service to God by our everyday lives, right? We present our bodies a living sacrifice, but that's not what we're talking about when we talk about our corporate worship. Worship begins and worship ends. I've heard people criticize the old church sign that people used to have on the back, enter to worship and leave to serve. I think that's a wonderful statement myself. Some people have said it shouldn't say that. It should say enter to worship and leave to worship. Now what that does, that just opens up Pandora's box, right? To all kinds of things you can do in worship to God. And we're going to talk about how the things we do in public worship and private worship really can't be different. And we'll talk about some of that probably beginning next week. I've got about three minutes. Has anybody got any questions or comments? Anything you want to add to, to what I've said tonight? Has this light bothered y'all in any way? Sure opened up a whole world for me. It's dark up here. I got this light this week, and I couldn't wait to get it perfect, see? I can go, I got three levels here, see? How about that? I didn't want the grandkids to get a hold of it. They'd burn the battery out trying to flicker it. All right, anybody else got anything you want to say or add? Well, I want to thank you for your attention. I really appreciate it. And like I say, hang there with me. We're going to get to all this, and hopefully uh, a lot of your questions will be answered. Thank you.